0: You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Good morning, church family. Thank you for joining us on our first ever Facebook Watch Party. We're very glad that you're tuning in uh, with us for our members and for our guests who are joining with us online as well. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. That's what we'll be spending the majority of our time today. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Question for us to get us started. What do you do when it seems like there is nothing that you can do? When the circumstance you find yourself in is beyond your ability to control, what do you do? Maybe when something in your life just changed and you know things are going to be different now going forward. Maybe given the current circumstance that we find ourselves in as a country and as a world, maybe there are whispers at your job about people being furloughed or people being let go. Maybe you've already been furloughed or let go. Maybe you expected your life to be different than it currently is. You've been trying to make it into what you want it to be, but it just hasn't happen, happened. And you're beginning to realize that there's actually nothing you can do to make your life be exactly what you wanted it to be. What do you do when it seems like there's nothing you can do? In this letter in 1 Timothy, written to instruct Timothy to lead the church at Ephesus to be who God created the church to be, As we've seen in previous weeks in chapter 1, he begins by calling out false teachers and false teaching and telling Timothy to correct them and command them to stop. And now as we've made our way into chapter 2, Paul is beginning to give some practical instruction and encouragement on how we are to practically live as the church. And the first thing that he calls them to do is pray. Let's begin in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. There are two terms for prayer from this passage that I want to highlight for our purposes today. The first one is supplications. It's a term we don't use very often. It means asking or seeking, or more accurately, begging for things that you need. Paul is urging them that that supplications, that begging be, be done towards our God, to our God, for all people. The second term that I want to highlight is intercessions. It means petition, like what you might make towards a king or a government official. The Greek word here basically means coming to the table for a specific purpose, Paul is urging that supplications and intercessions be made for all people. But then he specifically calls out people, or the people he specifically calls out, I should say, are kings and all who are in high positions. Now, why might he do that? Paul is wanting the Christians... Specifically, they're in Ephesus to be able to lead peaceful and godly and dignified lives, but he realized that they don't actually have the power in and of themselves to make that happen. You have to understand the political climate as it related to Christians at that time and place. You have to remember that this group of Jewish and Gentile Christians is a very small group of people compared to the rest of the population. Specifically for the church at Ephesus, they're in a city that is pretty hostile to their faith. This is not even to mention the fact that Nero, who is quite possibly the emperor at this time, and if you're familiar with history, you know Nero is notorious for the different ways that he tortured Christians. So Nero, the the, the emperor, likely hates Christians. Also, the Jewish community also hated them for professing Jesus to be the Messiah and for turning away from and rejecting Jewish laws and customs. See, in our country today, the, the Christian or maybe the evangelical demographic of people is one that has a lot of influence in politics in the life of our country. That would not have been the case at this time for these followers of Jesus. There weren't enough of them, number one, for them to be thought of or cared about. No one cared about what they thought. And then number two, there also was no voting. They they couldn't come and vote for the political officer or the politician that they wanted to be in office. So they had no control. Uh, Even protesting would have been of no use for them. There was a king or there was an emperor, and what he said went. He didn't have to get approval from Congress. What he said was law. So Paul, desiring for the government to allow Christians to lead peaceful, quiet, dignified lives that are godly, He calls them to pray because there was nothing else that they could do. They had no other form of meaningful influence. They had no other options. So Paul says, pray for everybody. Pray for government leaders. There's something that you want to see happen, but you can't make it happen in your own strength. So pray. You don't have the authority and power that you need to make what you want to see happen actually happen. So pray. And we are like the saints in Ephesus in many ways. We have things that we want and we need to see happen that we can't control on our own, that we can't make happen in our own strength. So for me, there's been issues in my life and relationships with loved ones. There's been conflict that I can't seem to resolve and issues that are extremely difficult and often painful that I can't seem to get past with them. And at times, it seems like the more I try, the worse it actually gets. There's areas of weakness in my life that have been weaknesses and areas of sin for years upon years in my life. Areas that I want to grow, but I I can't seem to make myself grow in these areas. There's practices that I want to implement and make habits in my life that I haven't been able to consistently implement into my life. Even though I feel like I'm trying, I don't see this lasting change. Maybe it will will be different for a little while, then after a few weeks or maybe a few months, it seems to fizzle out. This call, this urging from Paul is a reminder to us to pray and to offer up petitions and intercessions for ourselves and for others to God for things that we want him to see, we want to see him do on our behalf and for his glory. And we see this in other parts of Scripture as well. We see it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, where he writes, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. God answers prayers. Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God moves in response to the prayers of his people. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The Bible is very clear that God has chosen to execute his will by answering the prayers of his people. He responds to the prayers of his people. He has sovereignly ordained it to be that way. He is going to do work in response to the prayers of his people. He desires to move as we come to him and make intercession and, make, and present our supplication to him. And one of the amazing and beautiful things about this is that he doesn't need us to pray. He didn't have to choose to work through prayer He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient. He's all-knowing. He could have chosen to accomplish his work on his own. But he wants us to take part in what he's doing by asking and begging him, bringing our petitions and our supplication to him. He is a father who delights for his children to come to him and intercede and make supplication to him. He prefers for us to have a role and play a role in what he's doing. He's, he's relational like that. He likes conversation with his kids. He likes to be approached by us. He likes to hear what's on our hearts. He, he loves this. He loves it when we exercise the access that we have to him and come to him in prayer with our petitions, with our supplications, with our requests. And here's the thing. I know all of this. I've known it for, for years I know that God moves in response to prayer. I've seen God move in incredible ways in my family in response to prayer. There've been things in my marriage that have been difficult and it seemed like the more I tried to work on it to make it better, it just got worse. And then there's been times I've just spent time in prayer to God about it without trying to fix it. And I see God at work fixing it. Like I know this, I've seen this happen. But yet oftentimes I am slow to pray and quick to act. I am quick to try to fix the situation and slow to go before God with my intercession, with my petitions, with my supplication. I have a weekly meeting with Delicia. She's one of the deacons in our church. And we just go through the sermon. She helps me. She gives me good thoughts. So if you love the sermons, it's probably more her than me. You know Delisha. She's always bringing that fire. And Generally speaking, many, many times at the beginning of that meeting, we're meeting and I'm ready to go straight into what we're going to talk about. Here's the scripture. Here's the, here's the breakdown of it. Here's how I understand it. And she'll just say, and you need to pray. We, we haven't even prayed yet. You, you need to pray. And it's humbling to me and it's a reminder that I am so quick to act oftentimes and so, so slow to pray. If I'm being honest, I actually think that this is likely my weakest area as a pastor. I'm often so much quicker to to act, to try to figure out a plan, to figure out a strategy for how we can move forward than I am to pray. Now, why is that? What is that in us? If you're like me, what is that in us that leads us to be quick to act and to be slow to pray, to quick to try to figure it out and fix it on our own without bringing our petitions and our prayers and our supplication to the Lord? Here's my problem, and maybe it is yours as well. Unlike the saints in Ephesus that Paul is urging to pray, I often have yet to arrive at the conclusion that I can't fix the thing I'm trying to fix. I can't accomplish the thing that I'm trying to accomplish. I can't do ultimately the things that I want to see myself do in my own strength. I haven't arrived at the conclusion that I'm not smart enough, I'm not powerful enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever enough to make the changes happen that I want or need to see happen. I have a tendency to commit the sin of self-reliance. Self-reliance. I find that to be a lack of depending on God for what we need and depending on self instead. It's a result of thinking we're good enough, we're smart enough, we're powerful enough to make things be the way that they need to be. And this self-reliance leads to us acting like we're God instead of living in the reality that only he is God. Self-reliance is a play for the throne. It's an attempt to reign on the throne in God's place, in the place of the one who, who calls us to rely on him. I'm reminded of when Jesus teaches us this in Luke chapter 18, verse 17. For he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The context of this verse is just two verses prior. People are bringing infants to Jesus, and Jesus is laying his hands on them, and he tells his disciples, That dependence, like that of a little child, is necessary for them to be a part of the kingdom. That the kingdom is is for those who recognize their need for God. Who recognize that we don't have enough in and of ourselves. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We need him. One thing I've noticed being at the house more so during the last uh, maybe month and a half with my children... Is that they need a lot from the ones that take care of them. And they do not hesitate to ask for what they need. They have no hesitation. They're not shy about it. They're aggressive. They're they're constant. They're persistent in asking for exactly what they need. And Jesus says the kingdom of God will only be received by those who enter it like a little child. Dependence upon God is a character trait of a follower of Jesus which means self-reliance is sinful. It misses the mark of what God has called us to, and it stifles our prayer lives, stifles our lives of prayer. I'm also reminded of John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus writes, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This helps us to see just how dependent we are on him. I brought that scripture up to make the point that the reality of the church in Ephesus regarding their ability to influence Caesar and other kings is also true of our ability to live lives that glorify God and that produce fruit with lasting significance and lasting eternal benefit. See, I don't just need God to help heal relationships or to help me grow in areas of weakness. I literally need God to empower me and enable me if I'm going to do anything of spiritual significance in any kind of way that bears fruit and glorifies and honors him. I need him in my thought life every moment of every day. I need him in my emotional life that I might not be led by the emotions and feelings of my flesh, but that my emotions will be directed in a way that aligns with him and his word and his will. I need him if I'm going to represent him well at work. If I'm going to love him with all of my heart, I need him to give me that love. If I'm going to love others the way that I love myself, I am dependent upon him. I need him and so do you. We need him. Jesus says we can do nothing apart from him. I asked the question earlier, what do you do when it seems like there is nothing you can do? And obviously the answer is prayer. But if we're going to actually pray with consistency, if we're going to be persistent and patient in prayer, we must realize that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything in a way that is truly fruitful and honoring to God. So it's okay for us to ask the question and know the right answer to the question, what do you do when it seems like there's nothing that you can do? But we need to realize, hey, there's always situations where we can't do anything to make it what we want it to be. This scenario is not some hypothetical that maybe at some point in our lives or some point in our day there will be something that we can't do in the way that we need to do it. No, that is the state of our lives. That's who we are living in dependence upon God every single step of the way, moment by moment, every day of our lives. We need Him. We are always dependent. I need him to do work in my life. I need him to do work in the lives of others that I know. I need him to guide our governing leaders in our country and around the world, especially in unforeseen times like this. I need him to be at work if we are to see the ones that we care for come to know him. And that's the next point that I believe Paul makes as we work our way through the rest of this passage. Verse 3 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Okay, what is he saying? What is he saying is good and pleasing in the sight of God? It's it's what he brought up in verse 2. The praying for all people, including political leaders, like he said in verse 2. Then he goes on to give a reason why this is pleasing to God. He says, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So in verse 2, he requests that we pray for all people. And then in verse 4, he says, in verse 3, he says, this is good. And in verse 4, he says, for God desires us to pray for all people, that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's implying that it's good to pray for all people because God works through our prayers to save people. When we pray for people to come to know Christ, God actually moves through our prayers He's actually at work. We ought to pray to the God who wants all to be saved that they will come to know the truth of who he is. Let's continue on verse five. We'll read five through seven. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher. And an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He's saying it's good to pray for all people because God wants all people to be saved. He's saying he's the only way for people to be saved. He came down from heaven, gave himself as a ransom for us, which means he paid the price that we owed with his life and died on the cross as a ransom for us. He went to that length to save us is the point Paul is making. He desires for all people to be saved. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations and of all peoples. So once again, we're facing a goal, a desire, a task that we aren't sufficient for on our own. So what do we do? What do we do when there is nothing that we can do to achieve the desired end? We pray for all people specifically, specifically for their salvation. When I was younger in the church I grew up in, we would have these sometimes weekly times of prayer. And there was one, I can't remember which day of the week it was, but we were, I was there, my cousin was there, a few other people were there. And one of my cousins, he, he came up to me and he, he grabbed my hands. And he, he said, I feel like we need to pray for our other cousin. I feel like we need to, I feel like we need to pray for him. He wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. And uh, he was, he was kind of doing his own thing. And he said, I feel like we need to pray for him that, that, he would, that he would come to Christ, that he would fall in love with Christ. And so we, we prayed, and he, and he just thanked me, and he just walked away. And then this was, man, this was probably five-plus years later. I get a phone call at about midnight from, from the cousin that we prayed for. And there was a ministry I was a part of at that time called uh, Impact. And my cousin calls me up, and he says, hey, aunt, what do you know about Impact? And I was like, I'm involved with Impact. What do, you, what do you know about Impact? And He was like, well, I'm on the website at midnight. He's like, I'm on the website and I see you on the website. What's, what, what do you know about Impact? And I'm like, what are you doing at midnight looking at a Christian ministry website? He was like, well, you know, I heard about it and I was kind of interested. So I just wanted to know. So I shared some of my experience. I, I was incredibly fond of the ministry and everything. Uh, and then it was a few months later and he calls me and he says, hey, aunt, Uh, I've been studying Ephesians, and I'm kind of getting stuck on this part right here. And I've been talking to a guy at the gym about the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And there's some things that we're kind of stuck on. I was wondering if you can help me out to really understand what Ephesians chapter 1 is talking about. And so I'm equal parts confused and excited at the same time. So we talked about that a little bit, and we had a few more conversations. And then one day, I I was riding with him. We were going to my parents' place. And I I was just like, I noticed a few other changes in his life. And I was just like, man, I got to ask you, what's different? about you. Like, what happened? Like, you, you're calling me up talking about studying the Bible. I know that's not generally how you roll or what, what I'm used to you doing, so tell me what happened. He said, Ant, man, he's like, you know me. I was, and I won't use all the language he uses, like, you, you know me. I was trying to sleep around as much as I possibly could. I was trying to do my own thing, getting into this, getting into that. I was like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm asking you this question. Like, what happened? And he said, honestly, bro, I just got tired of the emptiness." I got tired of the emptiness. He's like, you, you know that I, I understand how, the way I should have been living, that I should have been following God the whole time. I understood that, but I was trying to do my own thing. But eventually I just got tired of the fact that it wasn't bringing me what I was wanting it to bring me, and I knew I had to turn to God. And I remember that time of prayer for him. I didn't share Christ with him, although honestly that's something that would have, would have been good to do. I didn't share Christ with him before he started reaching out to me. We just prayed for him, and God answered our prayers. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, and he instructs them to pray that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is on a mission to make the earth look more and more like heaven every day, and he caught by bringing in his kingdom, and he calls us to pray in his kingdom. He calls us to to pray it and pray for, pray that the earth will look more and more like heaven, that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done in the earth. Because we have access to the one who can actually change the hearts of people. Our words aren't good enough. Our articulation isn't good enough. Our ability to study and understand the word and communicate it to others, that's not good enough. It doesn't have the power that is needed to transform the hearts of people, but our God does. And he calls us to make petitions to him, to make supplication to him for those that do not know him. We have access to him. And I believe if you ask the vast majority of Christians if we should pray for those that don't know Christ to come to know him, they'd absolutely say yes. But it still is often a struggle for us to consistently pray for those that don't know him. I know of many Christians who would say, yeah, I need to pray for this family member more. Yeah, I know I need to be praying for this person more. Why, why is that? What is it in us that makes that so difficult to practice consistently? As I pointed out earlier, I think some of it is our self-reliance that gets in the way. But I'll also say that there's something else that's probably a little bit more difficult for us to identify and point out in ourselves than self-reliance. And that's what I call spiritual cynicism, spiritual cynicism. By spiritual cynicism, I mean doubting the presence and activity of God in your life and in the world. Doubting the presence and activity of God in your life and in the world. When you heard me tell the stories about answered prayer requests, some of you who are listening quite possibly had the thought, well, that probably would have happened anyway if you didn't pray, right? How do you know that that wouldn't have happened if you didn't pray? How do you know your prayer actually had effect, actually had impact? That's what I mean by spiritual cynicism. Those type of thoughts are the inner cynics in our minds. Oftentimes, I believe the enemy is trying to get us to believe things that are contrary to the Word of God, and so we're skeptical. We doubt that God is actually active, that he's really present, that he's working through our prayers. How would I respond to someone that asked the question, how do I know that that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have prayed? Two quick thoughts. God in his infinite wisdom and his sovereignty. He knows everything we're going to pray about before we pray it. I know in his word that in his sovereign control and and plan, he responds to the prayers of his people and he answers their prayers. And I know that he sovereignly ordained that he was going to do that after I prayed because he knew when I was going to pray about it. His plan was to use the prayers of his people. His plan is still to use the prayers of his people. So it must have been that his plan all along was to do this after I prayed for it to happen. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say that is if you fixate on questions, for, I'm talking to, to Christians who are, who are watching right now. If you fixate on questions like, well, how do you know that God did this because you prayed? You are causing your prayer life to suffer so greatly. And I would go as far as to say you're doing yourself spiritual harm Harm if you fixate on those questions more than you fixate on the truth that we see in the Word of God that God does actually answer prayer. You can always go into hypotheticals and what ifs and allow doubt and cynicism to creep into your heart. But we also must remember God said it. This is what he said he does. He answers the prayers of his people. Family, don't let the enemy keep you from knowing the joy of seeing God answer your prayers to save those that don't know him. Don't let our our city and our state and our world go on without being covered by our prayers, by the prayers of the saints, praying that God's kingdom will come and that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us not let our family members and our loved ones and and even our acquaintances that don't know Christ go on without being prayed for. He He calls for us to pray for his kingdom to come because the task that we have of bringing them to Jesus is great, it's too great for us to handle in our strength. That we don't have the strength that we need, we don't have the power and the authority that we need, but we know that He is actually able to change the hearts of men, women, and children. About a month or so ago, I was uh, in an argument, I was on the phone uh, with someone in. Uh, the The billing department for a hospital um, one of my uh, children had been to this hospital this was the the third time for this specific test and this specific treatment, and so we knew what what, what the price was and we were overcharged uh, for uh, the services that we received uh, each of those t- each of those times so about a third time uh, that I got to talk to them about it, hey we were overcharged we've been refunded twice for this would you uh, would you send us the refund and everything and and the woman on the other end, as far as I could tell, got argumentative with me and was saying that I was wrong and that I wasn't put into the system that way and all that. And I kept telling her, no, listen, we've done this a few times now. This, this is what it is and this is what, this is what we are owed. But she, 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 she would not agree with me. And ultimately, I came to a conclusion that she, she either doesn't have the understanding or she doesn't have the authority or whatever it is to do what I need to see happen. To, to, to make it happen the way that it needs to happen. So eventually I said, ma'am, I'm I'm sorry, I I need to speak to the manager. I'm sorry, I need need to speak to the manager. I need to speak to the person who has the authority or who has the understanding or whatever to do what it is that I need to happen so that we can be refunded in the way that we need to be. I've arrived at the conclusion that you're, you're not able to do that. So now I need to speak to the manager. Church family, what I need us to understand is that prayer is the ultimate. I'm sorry, I need to speak to the manager. I'm sorry, I I need to speak to the manager. I can talk to this person about it. I can talk to this person about it. I can try this. I can try that. I can try to use my own eloquence or whatever. But at the end of the day, when it comes to people coming to know God, we got to speak to the manager. We have to speak to the one who has authority, who has power, the one who who is good, the one who, who longs to save, who wants for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We need to speak to him. Everything else is futile without him intervening. Without him moving everything that we seek to do as his people for his glory, it's futile. And we can't do anything without him. We need to speak to him. Everything got resolved once I spoke to the manager. Once I used, utilized the fact that I actually had access to the one who was able to do the thing that I needed to be done. I mean, it was less than five minutes on the phone. And so, yes, sir, we're able to send that. I see that. We can, we can send you what you need. And one of the greatest blessings of the gospel is that we now have unhindered access to the God who came to save sinners, like we talked about last week. We have unhindered access to him, that we get to approach him as little needy children, that he loves for us to come to him, that he's just a dad that loves for children to come and express to him what our level of need is, what we want from him, what it is that we can't do without him, and it pleases him to move and answer our prayers for his glory and for our good. And we have unhindered access to him. All of us have sinned against God. We've rebelled against him. We, we were his enemies. We have fought against him. We have, we have disrespected him. We've told him, hey, I, I would love to have your gifts, but I don't, I don't want your heart. I, I want what you can give me, but I don't really want you. I want to turn away from you and do my own thing. And yet he forgives us. He washes us clean. He makes us his children. He invites us to come as little children who are in need. And he delights to answer our prayers. It would delight our God if as a church, we say we're gonna be more committed to praying for those that don't know him. Every time we come to him, it would delight him because he's the the God who desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He would be delighted because he loves to hear our prayers. He loves to hear our petitions. He loves to hear our intercessions. He's delighted at our request because we have this relationship with him because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So church, let us be a people that approach him as little children who are, desperately, who are desperate and needed for him and trust that our God can do anything that we ask of him because that's what Christ purchased for us as he died for us on the cross. Family, let me pray for us. Father, I ask for... You're transforming work in us. Make us a people who aren't deceived by the lies of cynicism, by the lies of self-reliance, that we should rely on ourselves or or that we don't believe that you're actually working in and through us or that you actually desire to work in and through us. Father, make us like little children who are just quick to run to their parents with whatever it is that they need. Make us like that as we run to you. Our God, our Father, our Lord, thank you for even giving us access to you, access to unhindered relationship to you as your children, as you adopted us into your family. Father, we thank you for all these things, and we give you glory, honor, and praise. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.